0: Craig Zingerlein is a multi-time founder. He's someone who has learned a lot over the years on what works and what doesn't when you're building and marketing a product. Craig joined me for a chat about his path to becoming an entrepreneur. We talked about the roles he played, his insights on product marketing, growth marketing, and product management, and why he believes it's important to continuously support and give back to the startup community. Here's that conversation. You're an entrepreneur obviously. Yeah. How did you get started at that?
1: Yeah that's that's a good question. Um, and, and actually I don't get op, often asked that question so I, I kind of like to take a stab at answering it so here I go. I think um, I really think I started my kind of entrepreneurial spirit when I was a little kid. Um, so I spent a lot of time with my grandpa and grandma on my mom's side of the family. My grandpa was an inventor. Um, And so he was always home. I mean, he had a job where he worked overnight, but he was always home kind of, you know, milling about his house, tinkering with things and actually had a couple inventions that were used um, during and after World War II. And he was a pretty eclectic guy. And then my grandma on my mom's side ran a um, haircutting business from her basement. So every day after school, I went to their house. And when my grandma wasn't chasing me around with scissors to try to give me a bowl cut, um, you know, or if I wasn't scaring the, uh, the old ladies mostly who were there getting their hair done, um, by, uh, pulling pranks on them, I was just out tinkering with my grandpa and, and looking for things to, um, you know, to invent and we did some fun stuff. And then on the other side of, um, my family, my dad's side were, um, they, they had business owners, so construction businesses and, um, you know, different things kind of around town. Um, you know, on my mom's side, the more eclectic grandparents, they, um, you know, they had this huge backyard. So I was able to go back there after school. And, um, you know, of course, living in this was an upstate New York, um, there was no issues with droughts or anything else. So we just flooded the backyard, we would build these river systems, we built a water wheel and all sorts of little things that were fun. And and I think looking back really entrepreneurial. Um, You know, and then uh, so I think just getting exposed to that from an early age, you know, interestingly enough, both my parents had pretty traditional jobs. So, um, you know, I think, I always had all these ideas and was kind of tinkering with things, but, um, you know, never really put it into practice until kind of most of the way through college. So yeah, that was, that was the start.
0: So it wasn't something that you said, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to create things. It just kind of happened naturally.
1: Totally naturally. And, um, you know, it's interesting because my, like my son is very, he's nine. He's very deliberate about, he wants to make things. He wants to invent things. I didn't have any idea what I was Doing, I just was kind of going along with what my grandparents were doing, or what my parents or friends were doing. But um, when I went to college, I actually, I actually had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, so I, I decided to go into teaching. I thought I wanted to be a teacher because um, my mom was a teacher, and I didn't last very long in that major. Um, I kind of switched majors many, many, many times before finally landing on information management. Um, and uh, and that was really, I think, the the more formal exposure to what entrepreneurship is I and mean, was things like case studies and, you know, kind of dissecting business problems. Um, you know, I sat through some mind numbing accounting classes and econ classes when I had briefly majored in, um, in business. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's really me either. So I, I did kind of stumble upon this really interesting mix of business and technology, which was information management. So I feel really lucky in terms of kind of being at the right place at the right time for that. It also happened to be in the '90s, right? So this was pre-first dot com um, crash, and so just everything was coming online and lighting up at that point. So it was just yeah. massive opportunities.
0: Yeah, just just perfect timing for you. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the first product that you actually created. What was it?
1: So probably my first product was um, a very something I'm very embarrassed to say out loud, but it was probably <laughs> my first website called Zings World. Uh, Zingerline is my last name, so Zing was my nickname. So I built this horrific-looking website that had this giant neon image in the middle. It was probably spinning or blinking or flashing. Um, but so I built that out in um, in college after taking a programming class, and you know, I it proved that I could at least put a terrible-looking website together, and <laughs> I actually started getting asked by other people to build websites for them. Um, so you know, talk about the Wild West uh, of the internet days. Um, you know, more seriously, I guess that kind of led to, um, uh, I did a summer program through the College of Engineering and Comp Sci, where I went. I went to Syracuse University. And um, the summer before my, I guess it was my senior year, I worked for the, um, like for one of the, for one of the um, in-house teams who were doing development within one of the colleges so I got exposure to much more computer programming and web-based programming at that point. And that was really the start. So when I got out of college, I, I actually started my first, like, you know, basically like my first micro agency at the time.
0: Okay. So, all right. So what about the first product then, or what is the first product you actually created that, I know you sold, I guess is probably what I'm trying sure. to
1: Yeah. So I think the first product that, I sold um, on my own as like a founder, a co-founder. Cause I had worked on different products as a, as a software engineer, but the first one was actually a proprietary content management system um, that was built. So I was a co-founder in a company. Um, we built this between, I guess it was around 2003, 2004, 2005 kind of that time frame. And what it was, was a point and click, editable content management system um, that this was pre Drupal, WordPress and the whole, whole open source movement. So yeah. the product was interesting. It was built on server side JavaScript and um, you know, the the business case was that all of these businesses were coming online and they had no way to build websites or manage their content. So we, we packaged together a content management system that would let them log in, um, add their content. They could actually right click and click right into the content itself and, edit the content in the web browser, right click and actually save it. So you didn't have to go through this whole, like, you know, this whole process of like drafts and, and pages and reviews. You literally could just right click. It was, it was pretty innovative stuff. Actually.
0: Yeah. Really back then. It, yeah.
1: it was cool. Um, it was the precursor to all the kind of modern, um, you know, web server side, web frameworks um, like Node.js and, and even react and things like that. But, Um, So we sold that, um, we were trying to sell it to enterprises, and we had some success early on. Um, Unfortunately, the timing could not have been worse. So I think it was 2004, might have been 2005, the first early versions of the open source movement really started coming out. And frankly, they had better products. I mean, WordPress and Drupal, um, and I think there was one called Joomla at the time. They came out and... We couldn't compete with free, um, so even though we had these kind of like really interesting, kind of innovative things we were doing on the product, we just couldn't sell it anymore, and so we had to pivot that business into more of a consulting business. Um, so yeah, that was it was a cool product, but ultimately the the model failed. But it was a really good um, set of learnings.
0: It's it's funny too. I didn't realize that the first one you did was a kind of a content management based, and, and you kind of make me think of um, Brian Alvey and the one that he created. Oh yeah long before um, anything ever came around too. It's just
1: Yep, absolutely. how
0: many, how many people saw the need and, and kind of knew that we needed to do something, but the timing just didn't kind of work out the right way.
1: It didn't. No. And I actually know Brian. Um, we, um, we were both participants in the launch incubator, uh, which is now called the launch accelerator in the Bay area. And so, yeah, I'd been tracking his stuff for a long time. And then he built some really cool stuff on the interactive content side of things. And then, started a couple more startups. So our paths crossed uh, in the Bay Area. Um, super interesting guy, like really, really loved kind of getting exposure to some of the stuff that um, he and his teams were working on. But yeah, yeah it's I, a really small world.
0: Yeah. And it's it's, um, isn't it, it's interesting too, like you're from New York. Right. And I always thought, or my assumptions always were that most of the the startups, you know, in the early days came out of, you know, San Francisco, California. They didn't they, they weren't in New York. Everyone says like New York is the one of the biggest hubs for startups today. Yeah. Everyone talks about it, but I didn't realize there were things going on, you know, you yeah. know, in the early nineties as well.
1: Especially in different verticals. So yeah, I mean, I actually, so I, after college, I graduated in 99, I moved to Boston. Um, and so I was kind of in the Boston tech scene. Um, you know, we had an office, the content management company had an office in Kendall square. I and mean, if you go to Kendall square now, it's, you know, super modern and in a hip place to be back then, they were practically given away um, office space. And, um, but yes, there was definitely a lot of movement in the startup ecosystem happening, um, you know, in in some of the bigger cities, Boston, certainly New York, um, obviously San Francisco, but yeah, there were these up and coming cities as well. Some of them focused more on a niche. Um, So healthcare uh, was, was a big one Um, you know, like healthcare in San Diego, for example, or um, you know, kind of like uh, bio stuff in San Diego or healthcare in Boston. Um, So there were these different kind of verticals that got formed where, where entrepreneurs kind of went deep in in a problem set. Um, So yeah, I was, uh, I was exposed to that. It was, it was pretty interesting.
0: Cool. Okay. So you have kind of an IT background, although it's, it's business and IT. How did you get started in marketing though?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. So I, so I was a software engineer, um, professionally for about three years but I knew based on my own perceptions on my own limitations on how much I could learn I didn't think I was a great software engineer I actually joked that I was a pretty bad software engineer I just made a living doing it um, <laughs> you know but I always was I always was just much more interested in um, kind of the opportunities that understanding the the technical side gave me so for example I could look at a, a problem and, and think through a solution and actually think about it in a, in a technical manner and not just you know, take a guess at what it would actually take to build something. I actually knew, um, you know, at least to some degree, how to, how to build stuff. And so what I learned kind of through this kind of really broad transition from being highly technical to almost pure marketing you know, um, through the last you know, really like 12 or 13 years um, is is that how critical the marketing component is? But I didn't just jump to marketing. What I ended up doing was getting more into product strategy. Um, so, you know, how do we think about the things that we're going to build, not just from a technical standpoint, but also at that intersection of how we're going to sell it? Um, it was a lot of, um, you know, digital strategy. It was, you know, kind of um, sizing up markets and and looking at how a potential product or even a feature um, is going to you know how that's going to benefit the the end user, the consumer, and how it's going to benefit the company. So these are like like precursors to kind of formally getting into product management. Um, so then over over time, I just did more and more and more of that kind of digital product um, tech strategy, and then got some jobs more as kind of a formal um, product manager, and then eventually got much more involved in kind of the you know the activation or the growth side of things because really. What, what happened, the shift that happened kind of in the last seven or eight years is the, the technology got better and easier. You know, more engineers came out. Yes, there's definitely still a huge demand for, for engineering talent. But, you know, all of a sudden you had these, um, you know, these winner take all markets and, and you had these much more competitive spaces where you had to really understand the nuances of how to, how to go to market and how to talk to customers and how to leverage all those different sets of inputs to build a better product and um, and it wasn't just about the tech anymore so that's where really i started my transition um, with kind of a stint doing a whole bunch of agency work in between where i was just doing that product strategy for many 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 companies
0: so do you do you see a difference then like there's product management there's product marketing and then there's content marketing or slash digital marketing overall like do you do you see them kind of all not necessarily the same thing, but very tightly intertwined?
1: I actually do, and you know, and and often I'll get I'll get some pushback, and then I think you know often people will agree that I actually think that there's this convergence happening between you know what you're seeing now, for example, with product-led growth, um, you know, which is which is kind of new terminology for really the yep. same thing that's been happening for a while, and it's it's really the intersection of you know good working products, um, good working marketing, and then good and working activation. And by activation, I mean kind of getting getting users to do the thing that you want them to do. You know, you have an intent that you want them to follow a certain pathway, and 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 hopefully you've figured out how to move them through that pathway. So yeah, I do think that there's a convergence, but but I also think that there's separate disciplines within that suite. So, for example, product marketing, you know, versus content marketing. You know, content marketing is normally part of more of an organic toolkit to help people acquire leads, or you know, to get recognition, to, to you know, acquire customers, um, or to activate leads. So, if you've got a, you know, if you're a B two B company and you're doing drip campaigns or nurturing campaigns or lifecycle marketing campaigns, you need content for all that. So, the people doing the work in content marketing spaces have to be good content people. The people who are doing the work in product marketing, for example, are probably going to be stronger on the branding, messaging, positioning, kind of customer value side. Like those are all aspects of product marketing. There's definitely overlap and you can get one person who can be good at both. But I think as you scale um, the complexity of a product, that's where you start to see a lot more um, kind of, diversity in, in the types of roles that, that are going to be required. So in the early days of a startup, you know, a, a full stack marketer, somebody like me that's got a bunch of experience across the board is probably going to be like, you know, a really, really powerful ally in that business. But over time, you know, the downside of that type of person and, you know, I've I've actually had to deal with this in my own careers is that you, you don't give your chance you don't give yourself a chance to really, 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 for many, many years go deep in one particular area, right? So I'm not the best content marketer. I know enough about it to be dangerous, right? So you start (laughs) to form these specializations as the, as the startups grow, and then you have to hire up for those.
0: Right. I, um, I, I understand that a, you know, a product marketer needs to understand brand and, you know, specifically product messaging. It just seems like there's so much conversation today that, that, you don't, you have to focus, you have to be so customer centric that you don't really talk about your products anymore. You talk right. about the challenges and the opportunities and, and that, that naturally evolves into a, a potential customer looking at you and paying attention to you and then seeing that you have these products. And so yep. in my mind, I wonder, and I think, well, maybe a product marketer and a content marketer really are becoming one in the same kind of person.
1: Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. So. I think a, an interesting lens to look at this through is if you were going to go start a startup or, you know, just ideate on, on a concept that you've had, it's pretty easy to get that from zero to one, meaning like you can build a website really easily. That's got a set of value props. You can go buy a bunch of ads. You can spend some money, you can put some stuff out socially, and and, and you can probably drive a little bit of demand. And I think that that's, um, you know, that lasts for a while in, in a really savvy, um, marketer who has the ability to continuously learn can absolutely, you know, fill many, many gaps in the marketing process. Um, you know, when I look at like a traditional growth lead or somebody who's, you know, like a, a you know, newer again, newer terminology, but like a, a growth marketer, those folks tend to have more broad experience across the entire life cycle of the customer. They're talking to customers, they're talking to the product team, they're running experiments. And they're really kind of a jack of all trades who's looking at different areas of opportunity within the funnel to, you know, to, to increase the effectiveness of, of whatever they're doing. And so, yeah, like I think that focus that you're talking about, that convergence, has led to this kind of explosion of, um, of growth people who have kind of, you know, Um, both are in high demand and in in some ways have flooded the market. Um, So yeah. And and I think there's been some role creation too. You know, I do think that as people um, uh, are trying to wrap their heads around, what does this concept of growth even mean? You know, now you're starting to get newer terminology put in place and and labels put on it, but it's really the same stuff, right? It's just, I, I think for earlier stage mid stage growth companies um, yeah, you've got teams of kind of, More kind of full stack marketers or people that have experience across the board and can kind of dive in and learn as they go, versus maybe more traditional, which might just be having an expert on branding who that's all they do all day long. That's more for a larger company or when you're just kind of
0: yeah. I uh, I look at a lot of the 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 jobs on like um, the angel angel Angelist and with the startups and for the marketing jobs and and even for established brands that are you know not not haven't been around a long time but have been around quite a while and the list of responsibilities that they expect one person to do and to know is just it blows your mind like nobody can know how to do all that stuff like like how do you get a job when you can maybe get five out of 15 of those skills but you do those five things really really well right
1: yeah and then you have like you know, people looking for jobs, kind of stuffing keywords into their resume. And, and, you know, it's really challenging, because I think there is, there's a lot of pressure on, on the marketing space in general, to be more performance based. And, you know, um, I still think there's an imbalance between kind of, you know, the, the, um, the value that's placed on marketing versus the value that's placed on, um, you know, some of the harder skills, for example, but it's, it's tough because, yeah, you've got all these new frameworks coming up and new ways to talk about things and, and new roles being created and new industries. And um, it's just everything's moving so quickly that I think a lot of a lot of talent doesn't, you know, they don't really know how to position themselves as a hireable um, person, although they may have really, really strong skill sets. And then on the other side, you've got these companies that have these ridiculous expectations. Like you can't be the best at everything. And so yes. if if you realize that, so like when I look at hiring, for example, I very much will look for a generalist most of the time, depending on the stage of the company. But there are those times where you need somebody who just really can go in and just own something. And and you'll learn a ton from them because that's what they've been doing for a long time or, or they're going really deep into a subject. So it's tricky.
0: Do you find that... Um... Most startups are slow to bring a marketing role in. Is, is there a reason that, you know, marketing's kind of not one of the first jobs they hire for?
1: Unfortunately, yes. Um, I think the companies that do well out of the gates have a have a marketing-based co-founder. Um, and, I, and I can't really just point to specific examples on the fly. But yeah, I think if you dig into some of the, the companies that are out there, you know, you'll find that somebody that are really kind of had their hands on on the marketing from an early standpoint. Now, when you look at um, when you look at reasons why startups fail, almost universally, the the issues come back to market market timing, marketing or sales related things. It, it almost never has to do with you built the wrong product or you you <laughs> built the wrong thing. Um, sometimes it's you've got the wrong team. But if you look at, there's been a couple of interesting um, studies. I mean, going way back to Paul Graham, I think in a post from like 2007, um, he had a blog post called, um, you know, like the top killers of startups, basically, or reasons why startups die. And then CV Insights did another um, kind of a more modern take on that. And yeah, I crunched the numbers, and and it looked like something like 84% of startup failure had to do with marketing-based components. So if, if you're not coming out of the gates with, a, with an acquisition or an activation or a revenue plan, um, unless you're just trying to blitz scale and, you know, you're going to raise a ton of money and you're, you're in a winner-takes-all market, um, you, you better hope you've got those folks on board because the product is, is often not enough. The, the product may grow itself, meaning like you may have great referral mechanisms. You may have a good word of mouth, um, you know, acquisition strategy because your product is just so darn cool but if you can't get people there in the first place and you don't have a retention strategy that keeps them around then it's going to die like hard stop so yeah you have to have this as an early part of the process and and I think that the focus is starting to become a little bit more strategic on on that side whereas it has been very engineering and product-led for a very long time Um, and and I just, yeah, I think, it, I think it is changing. I think it needs to change. I think we'll see more slower growing startups, but more of them survive if they focus on marketing um, earlier.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think um, it's definitely something. May, I think maybe it's because marketing has just always been so perceived as fluffy, right. fluffy website content and they don't think that the deeper role that marketing can actually play and help to move your product forward.
1: Yeah. And I think, I think organizations also have to adapt and adjust. So for example, if you have a marketing team and you've got a product team, but you don't have anybody kind of bridging the gap between the product and the marketing team. And oftentimes it gets very siloed. And so the, you know, the product team, which would include the engineering team, they don't really trust what marketing's doing. They say it's fluffy and then marketing is like, well, you know, these teams don't build anything for us. They don't help. They don't understand. And, and you get into this situation where there's just not a great relationship. And and I think a positive sign in the industry in general is that, um, is that 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 bridge is starting to be become less and less. So I think, you know, or that gap is becoming, you know, filled where you've got these growth roles or digital marketing roles that are starting to kind of bridge that gap or, or a growth-based product manager or a growth team that's kind of bridging the gap. So, but yeah, I think it just, you know, people just need to respect one another in in their respective roles and and try to work together across the aisle in terms of the product engineering, technical side, and then the marketing side. And when you can do that, um, that's, that's when you have uh, much more potential, I think, to grow faster.
0: Okay. Um, You, you, you talk a lot about growth, growth marketers, like what is the difference between a growth marketer and I don't, know, I don't want to call it a traditional digital marketer, but yeah. I don't know what the other, like, and and then I've seen some places where some times when people will say, we don't want a growth marketer. Like right. it's a bad I, word. Like,
1: yeah, exactly. Like, like what what is? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I think there's a couple of things to slice out. It's a great question. So first of all, there's this concept of growth hacking and growth hacking has been this kind of famous set of tricks that you can use to grow your company really quickly. I think as you can see with a bunch of the companies that employed kind of short-term growth tactics um, that are in the news lately, um, they tend to backfire. Like you can't raise enough money to account for a bad business model or retention problems or whatever else that might be created by growing too quickly. That said, I think that there is a bit of a difference, but it also is starting to converge in kind of traditional digital marketing where, the role and responsibility um, of a digital marketer in, in many companies would be, um, uh, you know, brand awareness and, and acquisition marketing, right? So kind of getting people aware of the brand and getting the people over to the site or property that, that you want to get them to. And, 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 then, and then it gets handed off to um, the product team, traditionally, who kind of owns the funnel from the second the user gets on the website or in the app through when they purchase and and hopefully coming back. The role of growth actually starts to span both of those. So some specific examples of what a growth person would do is they may look at the volume of traffic that's coming in and figure out the best ways to move them from awareness and acquisition into activation, which might mean we need to capture emails or we need to get a, a sign up or we need to get a free trial. And oftentimes what that growth person will do is run a set of experiments that are based on various hypotheses at that point of the funnel. So for example, I think, you know, if we, uh, you know, we've got thousands of people hitting our site. If we can get 1% of them to give, give us their email address, we can build a drip campaign and we can nurture them and we'll have a higher percentage of them that end up, that end up buying our product. So that would be a hypothesis with a goal. And you basically run an experiment and you measure, you know, your different tactics against whatever the baseline was. So whatever you were doing before, whatever you're currently doing that's outside of your experiments. You know, another area is you may have um, product teams plus growth people really looking at retention. So why are users not sticking around? Why are they churning? So it's talking to those folks, understanding why that's happening. It might be coming up with different methodologies for trying to keep them around longer. It might be, pricing strategies. It might be, you know, various other techniques that you can use to try to get a user to, to, to have your brand top of mind. You know, a lot of it comes back to that kind of activation layer. You know, growth person might also own retention or I'm sorry, um, own uh, referrals. And so if you've got somebody that's kind of focused on, you know, their day in and day out is mostly trying to get more people who are experiencing product value to tell more people about experiencing that product value. You open up a new um, acquisition channel, which your kind of quote-unquote traditional digital marketer maybe wasn't wasn't doing, or that wasn't part of the you know the list of skills that they had to have. So it's you know in some ways the growth role has encroached both on you know top of funnel with what digital marketing is doing, and then mid mid to bottom of funnel, which traditionally product managers own. But again, I think if you if you're smart about it, it all kind of works together, and you've got You know, cross functional team of people that have, they might have different goals, but they all roll up to the same set of core metrics that that are kind of company wide. So you don't get that sabotaging of metrics just to, you know, to to win in your little silo. Right. Yeah.
0: I I like that. I like that way of looking at it. I think it makes a lot of sense. So um, you talked about product led um, marketing. Or yeah. product-led growth, product led growth, I guess they growth, call it. Yeah. Um, it's something that I've started seeing. I've been paying a lot of attention to, and 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 noticing that it's it's primarily a, an approach that that SaaS based companies use. Like, it, is it something that you could approach with you if you weren't a SaaS company?
1: Yeah. So I guess you know I've been I've been also trying to find a good definition of what product led growth is, and of course when I Google product led growth. Um, I get a bunch of advertisements um, telling me what pay, what product led growth is. So it, <laughs> so I don't think I have a full and clear understanding of of, of what the actual most modern terminology is. Um, maybe maybe I'm old school, but I I actually think product led growth is is probably going to go down as a buzzword. And and here's why I think that I think product led growth actually sums up a lot of what growth teams, quote unquote, growth teams uh, do right now. um, And which is what marketing and product teams used to do separately. So, you know, I think that when you push people into the product and let the product do its work, that's a simple way of saying product-led growth. And yes, from a SaaS perspective, you know, with with SaaS onboarding, free trials, longer lead times and sales cycles, um, I think it's a nice way to sum up all of the You know the work that happens after you kind of open the curtain a little bit and and let the customer in and experience value of the product. I don't know if it's exclusive to SaaS, so I think that you get some of those same fundamental product-led growth techniques coming out of um, you know consumer apps and consumer companies as well. Meaning that the product is doing a lot of the growth work for you because the user is engaged and the user is taking the actions you want them to do, And, and part of that is actually Getting them to grow this thing for you, but I don't think it happens in a vacuum. So, and that's why I think it's kind of buzzy. Um, I actually think it's a it's a strategic process that that has a term put on it now. But it's the same stuff that you know that that growth teams and that digital marketers and that product teams have been doing for years. It's it's just a fancier way of saying you know you're driving the intent that you want the user to do, and, and that's leading to growth.
0: Hmm. That kind of makes sense. Yeah.
1: So it's just my own take on it, um, but yeah. you know I think that's you know at least as I've looked at different verticals and been kind of inside different organizations, that's that's how I see it. So I would define it um, kind of more along those lines. Yeah.
0: Okay how do you keep up with everything? Like you've got such a broad set of skills from, you know, from the technology to product to kind of regular, you know, marketing, I, I say regular yeah. kind of same bad words here. How do you, how do you keep up with all the changes? Because everything is changing so fast. Yeah,
1: that's a good question. I mean, I haven't really thought about how I keep up, but you know, I just, I just try a bunch of things, right? So, so some of it is reading, you know, you know, publications like yours, it's, it's listening to podcasts, it's talking to people. Um, mostly I just, I guess I just keep up with it by doing it. So for example, you know, Facebook, if you're running paid ads within Facebook or, or within LinkedIn, it's fairly common for them to release new features that you may, may not even hear about. So how do you learn about them? You're you're in actually doing the work. And so, you know, um, You know, I think part of it is just having, you know, being tactical enough where, where I'm still involved in, um, in actual like campaign creation and, and, you know, getting in and and doing the work, not just theorizing what the work should be or delegating what the work is, it's actually getting in and doing some of the work. A lot of it is just, um, peer interaction. And so the folks that are really, really deep within specific channels, um, you know, I'll, I'll ask them a whole bunch of questions, um, you know, one of the things that I like to do with, um, you know, with teammates and, and even when I'm doing advisory work with companies, or even, you know, um, you know, I'll do an occasional um, growth gig or whatever, is, is really learn from those practitioners who have been doing the work on, on their side, and, and just soaking it all in. So there's not one resource. I mean, I look at you know, I'm in the product school community, you know, I try to do speaking engagements once in a while because you hear from other people there, that are doing really interesting things. Um, I try to make myself available for people to ask questions, um, you know, and I'll get in Quora and I'll answer questions. So I think by answering a lot of those questions or seeing what those questions that people have are, it forces me to kind of look at the solution side and kind of keep my skills up um, so that I at least know enough about what's going on generally um, to be dangerous in, in different areas.
0: And you share a lot of information with people. Like I saw you, you have um, you have Pocket Note, which is yeah, a yeah. blog. You have Growth Mind.
1: Mm-hmm. I saw you had
0: a boot camp, like for for startups. Like yeah, yeah. What makes you want to share and help kind of the community grow?
1: I mean, I yeah, I think like again, getting back to the convergence, um, I think that um, I think that startups are good for. Um, you know, in general, startups are a a very positive thing just for our, you know, for our country, for the globe, for people doing the work. And, and they happen to be really interesting and exciting. They're also really, really hard. Um, You know, they can cause financial ruin. Um, They can also make you really wealthy. Most of the time it airs on the, you know, on the financial ruin side or, or somewhere in between. Right. So, so I think like, there's really no playbook. There's some really good books out there. Um, you know, there's, there's some really good podcasts out there, but I think practitioners like me, um, have a duty to actually give something back to the community. Um, and so, you know, I, I've, I've come up on almost 20 years now of doing this stuff and, you know, I've had a bunch of failures along the way. And I always joke that I think, you know, oftentimes I'll know more what not to do than what to do, because, You, because you learn from those things that either went wrong or, you know, didn't work or, you know, um, some, you, you caused some kind of problem. So I just like to be able to kind of take some of the experiences that I've had and, you know, and give them back to the community or the audience that is into kind of learning as they go. And so there's not really like a big strategy behind it. It's just, I like to do a lot of different things and pocket note, for example, um, you know, one of my friends, is a really good branding expert. I mean, I'm terrible at branding, and I, I'm i horrible at design. Like, you would never want me to design anything or name your thing. Huh. So this guy, Fabian Gerhalter, who's a really good branding guy, and I became really good friends because we got some complimentary skill sets. And we said, hey, we both do these things. Like, let's do these things together and just share some of the work that we're doing out there in the wild. And it's not really for commercial purposes. It's really just to, to kind of get back. You know, on the growth side, um, you know, I do a healthy amount of um, advisory work, and you know, you know, occasionally we'll we'll get brought in to to do some special ops work um, to solve a problem for a startup or to help something get off the ground. Um, you know, on that side, I, I've built a whole bunch of material that that I think I can give back to um, you know to people who are earlier in their career, kind of mid stage, who who just want a resource. Uh, and somebody who's kind of been through it multiple times before. So that's kind of the reasoning why I do these things. Um, and it's really just a, I guess it's a creative outlet for me.
0: Oh, it's, I think it's great. It's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's nice you. to know that there are people out there that really want to give back and not keep all that knowledge in their head for themselves. I appreciate
1: that. Thank you. Um, Thanks for reading it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, four startups you've done.
1: Yeah, I've done four. So I've been, um, a multi-time founder, yeah, I've been, um, you know, executive or founder level, I guess four or five times now. Um, I've founded, um, yeah, about half a dozen companies, two agencies in the mix. Um, I haven't always been the idea person, and in fact, most of the time, I haven't, you know, I'm not the idea person. I'll, I'll come in and I'm much more of an operator. So, for okay. example, like current company Sandbox, um, I wasn't a co-founder. I'm not a co-founder, but. You know, I kind of lead up our, um, you know, a lot of our product strategy and um, I run our travel team um, and do a lot of the growth work uh, within the company. And, um, you know, cause that's the, the latest iteration of, of my career, but yeah, I've been, I've been doing a bunch of different things in a bunch of different industries. Um, and the reason, you know, I've, I've jumped a few times and, and oftentimes I've jumped because there's a, there's a gap in my knowledge. So, for example, um, I spent some time in the Bay Area uh, and, you know, one of the reasons why I I was really interested in the Bay Area from a startup ecosystem standpoint is is it gave me exposure to really, really fast growing consumer startups. So you can learn from that. You can learn from those peers. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas here in D.C., it's a slightly different audience, but it's um, it's equally cool. Well,
0: I think it's fabulous. And I look forward to seeing all the stuff that that you do going forward. I'm definitely going to keep track of you.
1: (laughs) Thank you. I really appreciate it. All
0: right. Um, Thanks very much. I really appreciate this.
1: Okay. Thanks, Barb. I'll talk to you soon.